Hello and welcome back to another episode of Making Fun of Dead People. As promised, I would toss up a few bonus episodes about maple syrup. Why? Because I wanted to. Alright, let's talk about the rich maple syrup history of Canada and the United States. I'm pretty sure there's been other sap suckers out there across the world, but I'm not quite sure who they are. We're going to delve into the indigenous roots of syrup production and explore how Canada's First Nations pioneered this sweet art unearth the intricate relationship between Canada's national identity and this beloved natural resource, tracing the journey of maple syrup from tree to table. We're also going to transition into a darker tale. We're also going to touch on the heartbreaking case of Ezekiel Stefan. How did a belief in natural remedies come to cause the end of this young person's life? We're going to find out, so keep on listening. Or click the link in the bio. The love for maple syrup in Canada and the U.S. and probably elsewhere. I know my fiance, yes, I got engaged, motherfuckers, to Hot Gabby. And uh, yeah, we, I know, she's from Costa Rica and she loves maple syrup. So it's not just Canadians and Americans. Maple syrup is beloved everywhere. Maple trees themselves. I like to talk about this because this is, again, I got a strong environmental Kind of biology background so this forestry stuff trees nature that's my jam actually that's my syrup because maple trees are truly an emblem of north america there's more than 100 species globally but it's the sugar maple acer saccharum and the black maple acer nigrum that are the two most often used for maple syrup production these are also known as sugar maples so maple trees are found throughout north america primarily in the united states in the northeastern part in the southeastern part of Canada, we have the Maple Belt, which includes areas like Vermont and Quebec and Ontario. So these trees themselves, they prefer a well-drained, slightly acidic soil and are often found in mixed hardwood forests. You don't find these up in the more northern parts once you get into the boreal regions. That's the end of their habitat and you'll get into more spruce and conifers. And yeah, less maple tree, a little bit more sap and a little bit less syrup. So why are maple trees the syrup tree? Like, cause you got all the other trees and they got stuff inside them, but why maple trees? So the sap from maple trees is unique due to its high sugar concentration. While sap from other species can be used to make syrup, it's the 2% sugar content maple sap that makes it truly unique. Where the other things only have about a half percent, some up to one and a half percent, and not to mention it's got a little bit of a distinct taste. So you'll see other species just aren't suitable. Let's get into a few. Black cherry would taste like ass because it's got cyanic acid under the bark. You have your pine saps, it's gonna taste like pine. I haven't had birch syrup yet, so I don't know how that would taste. Like what I'm interested in is a uh, yellow birch. If you've ever been out in the forest and you've peeled back some yellow birch, or you've maybe peeled back some twigs and you're chewing on it, you'll notice that it's got a distinct evergreen kind of, or wintergreen, it tastes like mint, like chewing gum. It's really good. So I don't know if I'd like a minty syrup, but I'm not opposed to it. We'll just say that. So how do you make maple syrup? Let's talk a little bit. It's an art in one sense. I don't think that's the kind of thing you're just going to go and make in your kitchen. Crafting maple syrup is an art refined over generations, blending careful precision and nature's unique rhythm. There's a recipe that kind of is often handed down from family to family in these maple syrup, I won't call them farms, but 
Yeah, yeah, you have companies like around where I am in North Bay. You have there's south of us. There's this Matthews Maple Farm or Ma- Matthews Maple Syrup, and you have these maple syrup businesses. But it's very much the case that it has been in their family for generations. And same with the recipe because there's just little differences. If you order syrup from Quebec or Vermont or Ontario, it could be more golden or more smoky. It's it's complicated. So. The first thing is that you have to have the right timing. It's called the sugar season or the run, spring run, and all the trees are running and everything's coming back alive. So this kind of happens late February to April. And all of a sudden the frozen cold nights start to give way and it stimulates the flow of sap. So then you'll have tree tapping, which occurs. Essentially a small wall is drilled into the tree. A spout is placed. The trees have to be healthy, FYI. And the spout called a spile is essentially, so it's tapped in. And then there's a bucket that's hung or a collector that can collect the sap drippings underneath. Or what happens is that there's actually a series of lines and tubes between the different trees and it goes into a larger collector. So all that sap is then taken and it's boiled. They boil that sap next and they boil it hard. I think it's about a 40 to one ratio. So you have 40 gallons of sap and you boil the hell out of that until it's about one gallon left. And that's your syrup. The last step again comes with finishing and filtering is next. So this is when they start measuring to see the sugar content of the syrup, how thick it is, things like that. And they grade it by its color and its flavor. So lighter, delicate flavored syrups are produced earlier in the season. Typically later on, you have the darker, more robust flavors. Then the next part is bottling it up. You'll often see the better maple syrups come in a glass bottle or a container that stops the sunlight from degrading it too much. In terms of like things that affect the flavor, you have the temperature is a big one. Smokiness comes well from the smoke. The trees themselves can make a little bit of, do make a difference, like the region. And then You also have the cook time. So how, like the temperature and how long it's cooked. So those things all affect it. I'm going to use this episode or the next two maple syrup ones as part of a confessional, just to confess to some ways that I may be feeling as a Canadian. Here's the first one. I like fake syrup. And here's the other one. I like poutine, but I put ketchup on it. So I'm sure there's people right now in Quebec that are just fucking pulling their hair out, chomping at the bit to come over and smack me in the face. But that doesn't mean I don't love my country. That's just, maybe my taste buds don't. I think, I think my tongue might be in love with Kentucky because I like me some fried chicken. All right, so we've talked about making maple syrup. Why am I talking to you about it? It's pretty significant in Canada. And if you're from Canada... It's on a flag, man. Take a look. If you're not from Canada, it's on a flag, man. Take a look. The narrative of maple syrup within Canada's borders, though, is an economy itself. We're talking a billion-dollar industry and an industry that's been around as long as the... The industry's been around as long as the fur trade, but the practice has been around back, traced back to more like ancient times where First Nation communities, which often don't think of as ancient, but they are. Like, they were a long time ago, man. And also, they're still around today. So they're like, in terms of biology, like that's pretty successful. 
have gone some, through some rough stuff, I tell you. So the indigenous lore, the genesis of maple syrup isn't marked with a specific date. So it's not, there's on such and such May 4th, this day, May 4th be with you and out comes fucking the maple syrup river. And that didn't happen. But what we do have is more of a storytelling history that talks about an encounter, a single drop of sap coaxed out of the awakening spring, and it was found on the end of a broken branch. So to many indigenous tribes, the maple tree and its sweet sap are not merely part of the physical landscape. They're deeply rooted in the spiritual world as well. The Anishinaabe people, for instance, view the sweet elixir as a divine gift, an endowment from the creator that symbolized love and nourishment. Such was the importance of maple sap that its arrival marked a time of celebration and reverence. Festivals and rituals were organized at the onset of the sugaring season, and it was time to get to the sticky goodness of maple syrup. So one of the cool stories about how maple syrup came to be also from the Iroquois is that a tribal chief throws his tomahawk and it hits a tree on a spring morning. As the day warmed, the tree sap begins to run, trickles down the trunk, and his wife collects the sap, finding it nourishing and sweet. She decides to boil the venison that they had in their caches in the sap water. And what they get is like this sweet, delicious treat, treat, and they clue into this nectar of the gods living inside these trees, and then they start using it. One of the other things that is talked about, how the indigenous people of some groups had noticed the red squirrels chewing at the tips of the branches to get the liquid to come out and feasting on. So they clued in it was good to eat. One thing that's pretty interesting is that the indigenous people were able to harvest the maple syrup with tools made from nothing but wood, bark, and bone. So the knowledge of how to use this stuff and the rituals that went along with collecting the maple syrup were passed down during a celebration called the Sugar Moon. And it was the first full moon of spring and it signaled the start of, well, syrup season. So that's the, that's where it comes from. And then we have the arrival of the European settlers. And with this, it brings more industrialized practices to the sugaring process. So they, you have metallurgy. That's the first one. They adopted and then adapted the indigenous techniques, introducing iron and then containers to replace the Bergsberg vessels. They employed a boiling method as the preferred way to reduce sap. European settlers brought not only their people, but their customs. And so they learned from the indigenous practices and applied what would become industrial tactics to it at a later point. One such import though that came over was sugarcane, which is a, obviously we know it makes sugar. So one of the things that the settlers did is they brought over sugarcane and they were actually clearing out maple trees and the things like that and even threatening the kind of production of the indigenous maple syrup because it was just that's what they knew how to produce stuff from so the, for them it was just easier luckily though they didn't they don't think they were trying to but luckily they didn't exceed in stopping that practice or wiping it out so they introduced all those new methods but luckily through ceremony and stuff we do have the traditional knowledge passed down and that's cool so as they adapted the technologies and like I said, they would move into a, essentially a production phase later into the 18th century, it slowly, as time grew, it transformed into a highly lucrative seasonal activity. The initial commercialization of maple syrup 
can be traced back to the fur trade area in the 18th and 19th centuries. Fur trappers and traders discovered the long shelf life of maple sugar and began to use it as a sweetener during their long travels. Moreover, it was used in transport and trade, serving as a valuable trading commodity. So as the European settlers increased the number of urban centers, the demand for this natural sweetener began to grow. Recognizing the potential for profit, early entrepreneurs began to scale up production, making the first steps towards industrialization. In modern-day Canada, Quebec has become synonymous with maple syrup producing. Most 70% of the world's supply is actually from Quebec. The province's cold winters and the abundance of maple sugar trees create the perfect condition for sap production here. Maple syrup isn't just an industry, it's actually a cultural symbol and also a source of pride. Ontario and New Brunswick come in next for maple syrup production, second and third behind Quebec for maple syrup production in Canada. And to our American friends, I haven't forgot about you. I am covering American history. That's going to be part of the next episode. So as you're listening to this, if you don't mind clicking follow or subscribe wherever you hear this podcast. Next up, we have the birth of the Sugar Shack. Now, the Sugar Shack essentially just means it's a, not a love place. It's not a romantic place. It can be nowadays. But it's a rustic cabin in the woods that were essentially like a sugar house. So you could have staff there to work and boil down the syrup and because wood is heavy. So sometimes it's easier to go and make the product because if it's a 41 ratio, you bring only one fortieth of the product out and transporting it as opposed to the opposite. So you do it in where you got to do it and boil it down and then you come out, but you do it at the sugar shack. Yes. Now we have Airbnb sugar shacks that you can go to with your other person and it's you know what? Maybe next time you're in there, maybe you're making love to your significant other and you're in a sugar shack and just stop and take a moment and just think about all the maple trees that have been turned into maple syrup for your enjoyment. So in the 19th century, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the industrial revolution, the invention of different kinds of machines and factories. And here was a big one that changed maple syrup. The tube industry Having kind of rubber tube systems, all of a sudden you were able to collect mass amounts of maple syrup instead of just, if you only had 20 buckets, you could only hang 20 buckets, but you could hang miles of tubes. And that's exactly what people do. And you'll see it nowadays if you go to like maple stands where, that are actively being used for maple syrup production, you'll see in the spring like these weird clothesline looking things between every single tree in the forest and yeah, it just looks like this complicated network that I don't know if you remember that movie where Selma, I think it was Selma Hayek or Catherine Zeta Jones had to crawl between the lasers and these really sexy leggings and and how in that movie she, she's getting through all these little crevices. So one of the other major turning points was actually evaporators, which allowed kind of mass evaporation of the sap into syrup. And yeah, that, those two things were the big shift into kind of mass production and bottling of the syrup. In kind of more modern times, the maple syrup industry itself is one of the key industries of Canada. And particularly in provinces like Quebec, where, like I said, 70% of the world supply comes from, this means a lot of jobs and a lot of revenue. And the transformation of this like humble forced resource into a global commodity seems weird, but it's a real thing. And we all joke about it, like we'll get into in the next episode, there's like a maple syrup ice. 
It's a real thing. This stuff's worth a lot of money. And I think if you play your cards right, at the end of next episode, I might think of some kind of maple syrup-related giveaway. Stay with me for that. It'll be at the end of next episode. I'll tell you what. I don't, I don't have a lot of money, so it's, it's hard to say. And we're going to get a little bit into the case I mentioned earlier with that young fella. Oh, I wanted to mention to people that listen to this, I started a Kickstarter. The link is in the podcast description. I am trying to collect expenses for season two, and we're now taking sponsorships. If anybody you know is wanting to do that, let them know about the podcast. The other thing is I'm also offering design services. So I do graphic design, cover art, album art. You can look me up on the website or as part of the Kickstarter. Guess what? I am designing for people for money to kind of get my operating expenses covered. Also looking to buy a new microphone and some equipment. Oh yeah, camera. Anyhow, there's the stuff. You can check out the Kickstarter. Let's get on to maple syrup and modern science and medicine. So scientifically, maple syrup is known to contain minerals such as calcium, potassium, iron, zinc, and manganese. Manganese? Magnesium? And it's cool. Magnesium's cool. However, it's important to note that those minerals that are in maple syrup don't aren't in high like concentrations where it's, oh yeah, you're going to take it as a supplement. I don't think there's a lot of nutritional value in it itself. It's just sugar, but it's delicious sugar, sugar and smoke. Why can't they make cigarettes maple flavored? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I'm an ex-smoker. So anyway, in recent years, some studies have suggested that maple syrup might have potential anti-cancer properties, anti-inflammatory effects, and neuroprotective effects due to the presence of certain unique plant compounds. I just want to point out that Slowly, we've been finding that there's a lot of these compounds we associate with one plant or the other. I actually found out a ton of them, and it's just a matter of extracting them. So things like resveratrol is, comes from a wide array of different plants. It was originally thought to be like in blueberries only or certain compounds. DMT is one of them that they're finding in all kinds of plants now. So maple syrup, though, showed some small promise in some studies, but nothing conclusive. And yeah, the short version of it is that for now, just worry about putting it on your pancakes. Actually, maybe I should have got like Eggo Waffles to sponsor this episode. That would have been cool. I'll tell you what, between now and me publishing it, I'll message them on Twitter and see what they say. I tell you, they're probably going to tell me to fuck off. And if by the time I get around to releasing this episode, you hear a Eggo Waffle Red ad at the start, you know what I did? So I want to talk next about a sad death, a 18-month-old toddler by the name of Ezekiel Stephen. And this stands of a stark reminder of the potentially fatal consequences of not listening to medical professionals. Now, I'm going to say that with a caveat. We've clearly seen that I'm not like one way or the other in vaccinations. I'm anti-mandate 100%. However, I know that we don't have a lot of trust currently in some of the medical community after the COVID thing, more about the, I want you to remember, it's more about the reporting and the information release. Generally speaking, most of the medical advice that you're getting out there on a day-to-day -day basis is pretty good. Look at the source, read a lot, and don't just believe what, I'll just say this, if 
somebody's using the term energy vampire, they shouldn't be giving you medical advice, period. So Ezekiel Steven in 2012 becomes ill with what his parents thought was croup, a common respiratory problem in children characterized by a barking cough. For two weeks, the parents, David and Colette Stefan, opted to use various home remedies instead of seeking conventional medical treatment. These remedies included a mixture of apple cider vinegar, horseradish root, hot peppers, mashed onion, garlic, and ginger root. They also administered supplements from a naturopath who suggested the possibility of meningitis but did not physically examine the child. Ezekiel's condition progressively worsened as he developed symptoms like stiffness and difficulty breathing. On March 13, 2012, he stopped breathing altogether. He was airlifted to a hospital in Calgary where doctors determined that he had bacterial meningitis and also a lung infection. The medical staff managed to resuscitate him, but he had been without oxygen for a considerable period of time, leading to severe brain damage. The tragic outcome was that Unfortunately, Ezekiel was taken off life support on March 18, 2012, after five days in the hospital. The clinical pathologist noted that he died from the bacterial meningitis and the lung infection. So this case drew widespread attention, culminating in the trial of David and Colette Stephen. They were charged with failing to provide the necessity of life to their son. The prosecution argued the parents' reliance on natural remedies instead of seeking timely and appropriate medical care led to Ezekiel's untimely death. And in April 2016, the jury found the Stevens guilty. They appealed the decision multiple times, with the case eventually reaching the Supreme Court of Canada, which ordered a second trial. On the second trial, September 2019, another guilty verdict was returned. This tragic story of Ezekiel Steven is a powerful reminder of the importance and professional medical intervention in particularly or severe illnesses. It's important to realize the limitations of naturopathic medicine. So I guess you can't really blame the naturopath at all in this situation or the medicine. It just, the parents just didn't recognize that they needed to intervene in this case and that hot peppers and syrups aren't going to cure meningitis. So in September of 2019, the court retried the parents and found them not guilty of the charges that the judge had found. Essentially what happened is, okay, so we have these parents, they failed to provide their kid with a medical intervention. And so after years of legal battle, the Supreme court orders a new trial and the original verdict where they were found guilty. The Supreme Court ruled that the judge had erred in determining the cause of Ezekiel's death. Well, based on, I can't understand all the medical information. I'm not a doctor, but based on their findings, yeah, they decided it was a viral, not bacterial meningitis infection. One of the critical aspects in determining whether or not the parent should be behind bars in this case was that Ezekiel ended up having a viral, not bacterial meningitis infection. The difference being that there's no treatment for the viral version, meaning that the hospital may not have been able to provide life-saving treatment through antibiotics. In the retrial, the justice, I believe it was Terry Clarkson, sided with the defense's medical ex experts in that conclusion. And 
the lack of oxygen being the ultimate cause of death. Clarkson reasoned that even if the Stevens sought medical attention earlier, it may not have saved his Zika life, given that there's no specific treatment for viral meningitis. So, I just want to point out that them being found not guilty just means that, in this case, they're not guilty of a criminal act. As a parent, I definitely would never put my kid in that situation, I hope. I do think that, yeah, like a hospital in that case probably could have had a better shot at saving this person's life. But from a criminal perspective, it probably raises enough doubt about the entire case that, yeah, like I can understand why the court would side this way with them. And the end of the day, it doesn't bring this poor young fellow back. And I just wanted to go into that because I did want to bring that up, though it's not that maple syrup caused this kid's death by any means. It was one of the remedies that the dad or the parents had tried. Maple syrup is nice when you have a sore throat or a cough. It does give it a kind of nice little coating. I just wanted to point out the fact that kind of, do you remember the, when THC oil was just being, or CBD oil, sorry was just being leveraged, or still is everywhere. Every fucking podcast you listen to, oh, rub this shit on your neck, it's going to fix. It's not a cure-all, man. It's CBD oil. It's got great uses as a medicine, and it doesn't fix everything, and neither does maple syrup. Believe it or not, we don't live in a world where there's one magical thing that fixes everything. Don't use maple syrup. If your dad's having a heart attack, don't give him maple syrup. If your dad's having a diabetes attack, consult the user manual. Thank you for joining in. I look forward to the next episode. You guys are fucking amazing. We're going to touch on the American history of maple syrup. And we're also going to cover the $10 million Canadian maple syrup heist. I expect to release that episode next week. Thank you, guys.